Hello, and welcome to another audio version of Burnt Toast. This is a newsletter where we explore questions and some answers around fat phobia, diet culture, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma and diet culture. I'm the author of The Eating Instinct and the forthcoming Fat Kid Phobia. And today I'm really pleased to be chatting with Anna Sweeney, who is a social justice social justice oriented disabled dietitian. We talked about how to identify her before we started. And of course, then I still tripped over it. But <laughs> um, Anna, you probably know from Instagram where she is dietitian Anna, dietitiananna.com. She also has the very awesome you're nicer with carbs phrase that's on t-shirts. I just ordered a t-shirt this morning. I'm super excited about it. Um, so Anna, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you, Virginia. Um, I'm really into the t-shirt. It took me a long time to pick a color. Um, I might need more than one. It's really good. So I actually have like a lot of garb that's not actually for sale yet. I am just digging on the mug because I use it as like a communication vehicle nice. um, when I am talking to people on Zoom, like read my mug. <laughs> All right, now I need the mug too. Okay, well, we will link to all of this in the transcript so everyone can check out the gear because it's really great. Um, so yeah, why don't we start with you telling us just a little bit for folks who haven't discovered you a little bit more about you and your work? Sure. So I am an eating disorder dietitian. I am very fortunate to have um, dedicated the last, I think, 13 years of my life to um this field, which has become, um, for me, increasingly about social justice in every, in every single way. And I am so fortunate to have the following that I do on social media. I don't know how that happened, but I am most grateful that it did. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm a multi-privileged person who is trying to use that privilege for Good. And make people a little bit uncomfortable in the process. I'm fine with that. Here, here. I love it. I think it is not an accident. Your Instagram and everything has done so well because you do a great job of communicating around very complex issues in a very thoughtful way. You have like so much practical advice on there for people and just, you know, general, like you're having really important conversations. So thank you for doing that. Like, an ego. Stop it. <laughs> Um, well, I also want to give listeners the backstory on how we first got to know each other, which is I interviewed you for my first book, which some folks will have read, but for folks who haven't, Anna appears in chapter two of The Eating Instinct. The chapter is called Chasing Clean, and it's where I explored how the diet industry became the wellness industry, but is still the diet industry. Um and Anna shares her own story of living with multiple sclerosis and the ways in which the wellness industry preys particularly on folks with chronic conditions and sort of promising miracle cures through food and, you know, diet. And she's rolling her eyes for anyone not watching. <laughs> um, so, yeah, debunking these kinds of myths and scams is still a big part of the work you do on social. And it's, you know, so important. Um, but I know it can all, someone else who sort of tries to do that it can really feel like we're playing whack-a-mole because there's like always a new trend, a new, you know, celery juice or whatever, you know, whatever the latest nonsense is. Um, so, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why do you think the sort of core message of if you control your food, you'll control your life and your health. Like, why is that resonating with people even when we see over and over 
that there's not, you know, there's nothing there that, that smokes and mirrors. No, I think there are, this is kind of a twofold answer with regard to, actually, it's not, it's the same thing. Suffering by virtue of living with a chronic illness or wanting to extend, enhance a life or being preyed upon because you are being told by your doctors and your friends and the world that your body is a problem by virtue of its size, say, it makes so much sense that the diet industry that is really kind of no longer the diet industry, it really is like core value wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, The messaging is really, really pervasive. And there are going to be people who say, I did this thing. I cured myself, how I healed myself of secondary progressive MS, which is like not a thing (laughs) you can do because that is not how multiple sclerosis works. And I am an educated person. And as my disease changed, I wanted to also heal myself of a secondary progressive disease, which I know is impossible, but I tried anyway. Yep. And, you know, I think the messaging is so shape-shifty, right? It's about, this is about morality. And if you're not trying for this thing, well, then you're not trying and you kind of deserve whatever malady you get. Yeah, for sure. That, yeah, that's a bullshit message, but it is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it's really preying on people's very real fears and, you know, processing the ways in which our bodies change and that that can be uncomfortable and scary. And then there's this industry that's like, I will take your fear and I will attach a product to it, or I will attach, you know, this whole other plan to it. Yeah. And the really hard part about that. So the diet industry has billions of dollars backing it up. And then there are, you know, like the neighbor down the road that is telling you that like her cat feels better because she took out whatever. Um, Like it's a crazy thing. If celiac disease affects 1% of the U S population and in 2019, like 40% of the U.S. reported eating, quote, gluten-free. Like, that's a ridiculous thing. It is mm-hmm. not because people are actually gluten intolerant. Right. It's because gluten has been elevated as, like, this thing that, you know, we can't have. If you want to be a healthy person, you don't eat wheat or whatever. Right. Uh, but I, so I think, you know, diet culture or, and the wellness industry has so much money behind it. And I'm, I am trying really hard to actually articulate the difference between the industry and the culture, because I think the industry is this, that's the $74 billion. The culture is your cousin's uncle recommending mm-hmm. this thing and the trickle down effect of, you know, sharing these practices that have been helpful or effective and talk to me again in two and three or four or five years. And like, maybe you have a different feeling about a thing, but Mm -hmm. it's contagious. Yeah. That's such an interesting distinction, the industry versus the culture. Cause I mean, the industry is certainly helping to create the culture, but you're right. There is this sort of 
also this um, more informal way that these ideas get passed around and embedded that is important to identify. And I know that's what a lot of my readers often talk about struggling with. It's like the comment that grandma makes at dinner, you know, or talk the way that your dad's talking about his diet. And it's like that sort of stuff is so insidious because we kind of it, it makes it harder to put the blame where it belongs, which is on this industry that's, you know, underregulated and running wild because it just kind of, you end up mad at the person and not at the sort of larger system. So, yeah. Um, speaking of companies we can be mad at though, um, I wanted to, you know, I'm hearing a lot of folks asking about Noom at the moment, um, and would love to hear your thoughts. What's really interesting to me about what they're doing is, I mean, you know, they're really, it's like a whole, we've been hearing for years, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle plan, or it's a lifestyle change. And their whole thing is it's not a diet, it's psychology. So Anna, what is it? (laughs) So, well, I think, like, cognitive behavioral therapy is a really practical tool for changing behaviors. Um, But Noom, suggesting that they are not a diet. It is about changing your brain. And I have to be really honest with Virginia. I haven't done a ton of digging because Mm -hmm. anytime I look at it, I'm just like repulsed and I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, Um, I understand. Everyone that has spoken with me about Noom has also said, yes, they said it was psychology, but I was also eating a very low number of calories Mm -hmm. in concert. So it's like, it's use cognitive behavioral therapy to teach your body to semi-starve. Cool. Uh, Sign me up. <laughs> right, right. But it is to me, this is like the ultimate manipulation. Yeah. It is speaking to people's um intellect, right? We acknowledge that like the diet industry has actually like not the diet industry itself, not the industry that perpetuates things like Noom, but like conventional dieting, like slim fast, mm-hmm. their market share is in the shitter. Mm-hmm. Not, like it, that's not a thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the 90s, it was a really, really, really big thing. But conventional diets, like the ones that like would have happened however many years ago, that's not selling anymore. And so Noom, to me, this is like the ultimate gaslight experience where they're trying to say, but you are so smart that you know diets don't work. Let's change your brain. And we're not talking about the fact that it's a semi-starvation diet and there is one conclusion that follows semi-starvation diets, but it's, it's to me, it's the ultimate manipulation. It is saying, you know, you're so smart. You know, the diets don't work. We appreciate you for paying attention. Let me manipulate you by using your intellect. Yeah. Yes, that's so well put. And I think I'm sure that's resonating with a lot of people who have tried it and are sort of sitting uncomfortably because you feel then like you got played, you know, and I think it's just important to articulate that, like, it's not your fault. Like this was, you know, this is very powerful marketing that a lot of work went into figuring out how to manipulate you in this way. hundred percent, a hundred percent. And they are never, it's a little bit, I, I appreciate the Kerbo. I don't even know if Kerbo is still a thing. But when Weight Watchers presented Kerbo for like young people, they are different, but it is the same sort of manipulative 
Like if you're a good parent and you have a fat kid, mm-hmm. you want carbo because you want them to learn the skills. Mm-hmm. This thing is just for, and I don't even know if Noom will let like young people in. It's certainly not marketed to young people. It's marketed to people kind of in our age bracket. Yeah. And it's just, it is just, um, it's emotional and psychological warfare because you, you know, you're not good if you're not using your brain to starve yes. for a short time. And they're also literally the same thing because they both use the stoplight diet as their basis. Great. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's, you know, when they want to both argue that they're not diets, they are in fact like all about restricting calories and grouping foods into good and bad categories. So it's not diet. <laughs> it's, it's weird how it looks just like a diet. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So now I have some listener questions that have come in that I would love for you to tackle. So the first up, and I wanted to give this one to you because of your whole, you're nicer with carbs thing. Um, and also it just made me laugh because the whole email is, what is the deal with pasta? <laughs> Why is it seen as unhealthy? This is from someone who loves pasta, I think. And I do too. So I really want to help reclaim pasta for this person. Oh, let's remember really quickly that our bodies have no judgment about where food comes from. So if you are eating carbohydrates by way of pasta, your body assimilates those carbohydrates the same way it assimilates carbohydrates from toast or crackers or chips or any other food that might be a little bit more neutral. Think what has happened to the pasta industry in the last three or four years is pretty bloody tragic. It has happened in the context of oh, after what was the, I don't remember the stoop uh, the stupid I would say it was documentary, but it was kind of not. It was just this sensationalized thing about plant based um, power lifters, something oh, like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't forget the name I, too. I remember but, yeah. but th- so there was this uptick in this desire for plant-based everything, which is just a prettier way of saying vegan without the ethical, right. just like it's so effed. Um, I don't know if I can curse on this. That, you so can. That's, that's what I got. You just got <laughs> me censoring myself. Um, you don't need chickpeas or beans or whole wheat or any of those things. To have and enjoy pasta, you are allowed to just eat normal pasta. I am appalled by what has happened to the pasta aisle, which used to just be exciting because you could choose different shapes. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, let me choose a different macronutrient profile to make sure that I'm round, rounding out my meal. What I will say to that is, if you are looking for a higher fiber pasta experience, maybe add some vegetables to the pasta if you want that. If you're looking for a higher protein pasta experience, maybe add some cheese or some protein some other way. Um, but just so, it's so silly. Um, carbohydrates are the mainstay of our existence, right? We need most of our energy to come from carbs. What what has happened? The vilification of a normal white pasta, which is just pasta, 
is, you know, this is an unfortunate trickle down of the diet industry suggesting that you need to healthify, you know, all of the things. Right, right. Just, it's just not true. Your body can handle pasta. It's delicious. You should have it. Yes, you really should. And for parents too, like kids love pasta and then parents have all this guilt about how much their kids love pasta. And like pasta is a great like food for introducing other foods. Like if you're trying to sort of increase your kids, you know, diversify their palate or whatever, like pasta is like the base of everything, you know, and in my house, at least, you know, it's like how they get, because then they have that sort of safety there and then they can get more curious about other foods. So, and there are so many fun things that go with pasta. Yeah. All of the things, (laughs) all of the things go with pasta. And it's sad to hear that parents feel badly about feeding their kids a carb like pasta. Mm Because again, our bodies are, have no ability, like our prefrontal cortex, you're making a decision about what you're feeding yourself with your prefrontal cortex, but the rest of your brain and not like, and all of your cells, um, they have no awareness of where carbohydrate energy comes from. And so the last, like the last thing I wish for parents is to be putting that much energy in a bowl of pasta because it's just pasta. Exactly. Same as a bowl of cereal. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. All right. So we have redeemed pasta for anyone who is feeling anxious about pasta. I hope you eat it after you listen to this podcast. Um, Okay. Next question. Um, This person writes, my biggest issue is stopping when I'm full. How would you recommend dealing with the impulse to eat past fullness? When I hear people talk about eating past fullness, And sometimes that is, I mean, this is a very normal thing I have to actually say. Um, I think hunger and fullness and kind of eating in accordance to those sensory specific experiences is something that takes skill and practice. That being said, I think my first question to this person who wrote in to you is, are you having enough food all day long? Like get up in the morning, are you having breakfast? Are you having snacks? Are you having regular meals? Are you feeding yourself with food when you feel tired instead of having a cup of coffee? Um, and are you actually feeling satisfied by the foods that you eat? Mm-hmm. If you are not, I am going to encourage you to eat more food and to eat more food that leaves you feeling um satisfied at the end. And that might mean for some of my clients, that actually means maybe taking a break from high fiber things. If fullness is part of the equation or something that makes them uncomfortable, but, but even, and you can hear my dog tippy tapping. Um, (laughs) To me, the most important thing is, are you actually eating enough food during the day? And I promise you, you need a lot more food than you believe that you do. Um, You just, you need more food. Right. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes too, this like needing to eat past fullness can be like either not quite understanding what fullness is. Like you may be sort of feeling like you need to be full, but you're not actually full. Like, like, because you've just, you think you've eaten quote too much. And so you think you're eating past this, but you're not actually eating past your own fullness. I mean, that comes up quite a lot too, I would imagine. 
Absolutely. And I also want to say really, really clearly, like your fullness is different from my fullness and your fullness on Monday in the morning is different from your fullness on Tuesday in the afternoon. And it's like, we have to really regard our relationships with our stomachs similarly to the way that we regard our relationships with our bladder. They're both stretchy muscles. (laughs) Sometimes you really have to pee. Sometimes you're like, because I'm going to be in the car for a little while. Mm -hmm. And your stomach can be, your stomach can be the same, you know, the same way. I think in this, in this regard or regard to this question, um, I would totally experiment with a bunch of different foods and feeling through what feels more, you know, filling and what feels more satisfying. And I'm still coming back to, you're probably not eating enough during the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's dead on for sure. Um, okay. Then the last one, which sort of ties us back to where we started this conversation, um, this person writes, even though I stopped dieting and believe in intuitive eating, the dieting thoughts are in my head so often. Any advice for coping with relentless diet thoughts? And I think this sort of comes back to that sort of onslaught of messaging we were talking about in some parts, but I'm curious to hear, you know, what else you think of in response to this? I think, and I think really first thing, please have so much compassion for yourself. I think about, you know, the diet rules or people who have counted calories and the fact that these, you know, those numbers or these rules, even as you are working to step away from like valuing them, it doesn't mean they disappear from your brain. And some of this is about neuroplasticity. So if there was a time when following diet plan rules felt like it was advantageous for you, you made a neural connection that said, I feel uncomfortable in my body. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm actually speaking to this person specifically, but I'm just using an example. I feel uncomfortable in my body. So I'm going to make this dietary intervention. And every time they feel uncomfortable, they make that one specific or doesn't have to be one. It can be all of the dietary interventions that they um, have followed over a period of time. And so that thought pattern becomes instantaneous. It becomes a thing that you don't think about. And so mm-hmm. with regard to thinking about the fact that our, our brains are plastic, we are here and ready to learn new things all the time. And I'm going to ask your listeners to think about, like, do you remember learning how to drive? drive a car, right? And you're in New York, so I don't know what your situation with driving is, but I remember learning how to drive. I was 13 years old. I was in South Dakota. Um, I didn't get it. I didn't get to drive when I was 13. (laughs) My parents are from the the East Coast and they're like, "Mm, that's not a thing. Um, But I remember driving, you know, like 10 and two, get your mirrors, make sure your seatbelt is buckled and turn off all the music and nothing like no sound, focus, 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 focus. And I don't think it was until I actually had my license and my mother and father who did the fake breaking thing on the floor next to me. (laughs) I don't think it was until they were out of the car that I was like, oh, I got this. This is fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this one practice driving a car, my, you know, proprioceptive sense, I go from being this like five foot something person to now being this two ton vehicle really, really challenging and like psychologically, it's actually crazy that we let kids drive cars. It is. Yes. Um, 
But so, but so it's so, so hard. And then you get to a point where you can drive and have something to eat and change the radio and be looking at your phone. And I will tell you, I have done ridiculous things while driving a car. That's just lucky. But it's because my brain, like from a neuroplasticity perspective, I desired so much to have a license that, or, and to be, you know, independent driving a car that I, you know, practice, practice, practiced. And now I can do a million things while I'll, and that's, it's not actually a million, I can, but I can do several things while right. also driving a car and not think twice. Right, right. So it, it makes so much sense if you have been embedded in the wellness industry, diet industry, and those beliefs and doctrines for so long, it makes sense that those automatic thoughts are going to show up. Mm-hmm. My ask for you and my ask for everyone is, you know, what would it be like to actually, and this is actually using a little bit of CBT. Thank you. Noon, <laughs> um, like, what would it feel like to stop the thought or even to recognize it and say, wow, this is a diet culture thought and try and replace it with something else. Yes. Uh, using, so there's a diet culture thought. This is at my healthy thought, or this is my self-care thought. It will not be instantaneous, right? Mm-hmm. Because the one that has been built in there is based on wellness culture mumbo jumbo and with practice and dedication to, you know, finding the other side, I feel really certain when I say it is possible to turn down that, that noise. Does it mean it's going to go away entirely? No, not necessarily, but you can shift some of it, be gentle with yourself that this will take time. And, you know, if you devalue those messages preferentially replace them with something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is a, this is a practice thing, but your brain was trained to do the dieting things. You can also train it to do something else. I love the metaphor of driving a car. I mean, I think it really does feel like learning a new language or driving a car in the beginning. And like, I, I do drive because I live in a part of New York where we drive, but I was terrified of learning to drive as a kid. I remember how hard and scary it felt. So, and actually after I lived in Manhattan for 10 years and then we moved up to the country and I had to basically relearn that skill. Um, it was terrifying and didn't go that well in the first six months as there was a garbage can in my driveway that <laughs> um, I backed into. Yes. So, yeah. So I think that's a great way to think about it. It's like you are learning a whole new skill here. It's a really complicated skill and yeah, it's going to take some time before it becomes remotely automatic. I love that. And the extra, and this is the, like the wellness culture punch in the gut part. You're not likely to have your healthy self-care oriented practices mirrored back like back at you mm. and there has to be some acknowledgement of the fact that doing something different is automatically going to put you in a special category and so you're going to have to come back to self-care first acknowledging that everyone in your life is also prey to the industry in the same way that you have been for a period of time that is a great point yes that that's going to make it 
it's literally like you're learning to speak a language no one around you speaks and then they're going to keep speaking to you in their regular language and wondering why you're doing something different and yeah that is really hard well, Anna, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I feel like we covered so many different topics and there's just a lot here. And so I think this will be really helpful for lots of folks. Um, let us know where we can find more of you and your work. I would love for you to come hang out on Instagram. I had no idea that I would love it so much there, but it is like a creative outlet. And I actually, um, yeah, no, I, I, I love Instagram. I am at Dietitian Anna. Um, feel free to, I actually do respond to most messages. So pop in a question. I do virtual connection. I started virtual connection at the end of, or at the beginning of the pandemic. And I haven't stopped it yet. So there's a free hour of me answering questions on Mondays at three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Would love to see you there. That is such a great resource. I really encourage folks to check that out because that was awesome during the pandemic. I love that you're still doing it. So um, yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This was delightful. And I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Thanks for joining me too.